0: Our Bible reading is from Isaiah 58, on uh, page 740 of your Bibles. Shout it aloud, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their rebellion, and to the descendants of Jacob their sins, for day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right, and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarrelling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in a sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to lose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in half... Of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age old foundations. You will be like a repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honourable, and if you honour it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking out of words, then you will find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land. And feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken.
1: Well, thanks very much, Lexi, and uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Cam Maxwell, and if you haven't seen me around before, if you're newly here, uh, there's good reason for that I don't come here. Um, I'm visiting. Uh, I was on the staff team here for about four years uh, before taking a group down uh, to plant a church down at Tonsley, just down the road. Uh, but it's really lovely to be back with you this morning, uh, dodging ed- eggshells and uh, just that faint lingering smell of yolk in the background there. Um, Hopefully those of you who have been around for a while will remember me as a pretty mild-mannered, laid-back kind of guy. Uh, Nothing really frustrates me easily, except for one thing. Um, I found I do get um, unreasonably irritated by just finding myself in a situation where I'm looking for something. It should be there where I left it, but it's not. Uh, It's uniquely uniquely frustrating for me. Something snaps, and I'm suddenly irritated, unsettled, uh, until I find it again. Uh, The rest of the staff team here could tell you there are days where um, well, the pen I have on my desk goes missing. Um, It's not a great pen. Uh, It's not my favorite pen, but I don't even use it that much. I just scribble notes to myself on bits of scrap paper with it, but the thing is it's my my pen. Uh, It's on my desk. I've been preparing to use it. Actually, I've got it here. Um, This is the pen. It's just a normal sort of blue pen. Uh, When I can't find it, when it's gone missing, Look, I'm yet to yell at anyone on the staff team, but I do struggle to settle into my work until I've, you know, turned the office upside down uh, trying to find this pen. Now, he's not here today, so I can say this. Between you and I, uh, it's nearly always on Matt's desk uh, when it turns up. <laughs> to be fair, though, that is probably the worst uh, experience I've had on the staff team so far at Colonel light Gardens, so I've had it pretty good. It's pretty silly, isn't it? And, like, I even have exact copies of that pen in my desk drawer ready to go, but... I don't want the copies, I want the pen when it's gone. It's so silly, and I think though there is something uniquely frustrating that maybe you can relate to as well, uh, when you can't find something that really should be there. Uh, Whether it's the car keys, uh, the document you need in a hurry, the passport when you're packing your bags, just the nail clippers when you suddenly need them. It's like a pebble in the shoe, isn't it? It's hard to relax, it's hard to settle, it's hard to be at peace if something we're looking for cannot be found. Isaiah 58 uh, explores the frustration at not being able to find something that really should be there. It's not something trivial, it's something critical, actually, and something deeply unsettling if we can't find it. Uh, In the chapter, Lex read for us, Israel can't find joy. It should be there, they've had it before, uh, but they've lost it. And it's because they have lost the fullness of relationship with their God. Now perhaps something, uh, that's something we can identify with uh, in part, uh, living with the frustration of misplaced joy. Uh, like a pebble in the shoe, uh, we perhaps just push on, although in a spiritually frustrated kind of way, unsettled, and perhaps even more distracted than we know. Perhaps you can remember a great time in your life you can look back on where there was great joy with the Lord, and we sometimes think, well, what happened? Perhaps we look back on a time uh, when our relationship with God brought rich blessing to our days. But even if today things are going really well with the Lord, and I hope that's the case, but if, if we are finding joy in the Lord, I still think Isaiah 58 will help all of us uh, keep on the right track. Uh, I encourage you to keep your Bibles open there to that chapter to see first how this passage finishes. Because I actually want to start with uh, the end here and then work backwards from there. In verse 14, we see this wonderful promise, uh, the promise of God at the conclusion of this chapter. Verse 14, then you will find your joy in the Lord. You'll find your joy in the Lord, and I'll cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. Uh, that's the wonderful promise of God to Israel. So, the task today let's see how they lost their joy. Um, Where they try to look for it, I want to kind of um, point out a few dead ends they find on their quest for joy. I've picked out three main roadblocks Israel hit in this chapter and we'll consider the pathway that God actually sets out for us uh, to find joy again. So if you'll see uh, back at the start of the chapter, in verse 1, Isaiah starts out, um, he's quoting God himself here in verse 1. Isaiah is told to declare to Israel what they have done wrong. And from verse 2, God, through Isaiah, tells us the problem. From a distance, Uh, Israel looked like they were doing all the right things. Uh, Israel, I think, thought they were doing all the right things, the things they thought they should be doing to receive God's blessing and joy. They were seeking him and knowing his ways, verse 2. Or at the end of verse 2, they are seeking his justice and his presence. They sound like good things, don't they? And they are even fasting. Um, Surely, that's the best way to convince God you're serious, right? Uh, Not eating, Uh, that's proper devotion, you would think. God really should be impressed, they should be answering their prayers, so Israel think. But God says, no, this is all a facade, it's just pretense. There are two little words that really, tip it off there in verse 2, it's as if, it's as if they were being obedient. They're not really. In verse 3, they're fasting, that is, they're denying themselves, but ironically, on the very day that they're denying themselves, they also do whatever they want, they do as they please. They exploit their workers on a day that should be holy. In verse four, we see that even their very spiritual, very devout fasting, it ends with fist fights. Now, to be fair, if I go for food, I go without food for too long. You better hope I don't lose my favourite pen, because um, not eating and crankiness, of course, go together. But their fasting—it's—it's it's more than just not eating, isn't it? It's supposed to be about humility before God, not just in appearance though, but at the heart level. Yes, uh, from a distance they're sitting in sackcloth, they have their heads bowed, they look very spiritual, but in the way they're treating their workers, the way they're treating each other, if they're trying to convince God of their obedience, they're they're actually wasting their time. They're very spiritual fasting, it means nothing at all. We can't fool God. This reminds us, uh, I think, uh, very profoundly that God really cares about our integrity Uh, He he doesn't treat us as if some good deeds here will kind of outbalance some dodgy business dealings there. God cares about it all. And above that, God absolutely hates hypocrisy. Do you see at the end of verse 4 here, God basically says, if this is the way you conduct yourself, don't expect me to answer your prayers. It's pretty sobering, isn't it? We think about Jesus, the the people he tore into the most ruthlessly uh, were the Pharisees for this exact problem, their hypocrisy their pretense or their facade of being faithful to God with lots of ceremony but a complete failure to love their neighbour. God really wants his people to have integrity, it really matters to him. Now that's especially true I think of those in Christian leadership roles and especially in Christian uh, public roles. For all of us I think it can creep into our thinking uh, very subtly though and so it is worth just all of us checking in from time to time our heart on these things. For instance, this is a bit of a, a random example I suppose but well, sorry, th- thinking first that God owes me one because I've done something impressive. Can you imagine that? Uh, something as impressive as, as fast, and you think, oh, that'll earn me brownie points with God. Uh, here, here's the trivial example, I suppose. Imagine signing up to help out at Crèche here on Sunday, um, especially if you don't really like little kids that much, but you sign up anyway thinking it will impress God somehow. Uh, it might make him forget even about uh, how you treat your colleagues on a Monday or something like that. It's trying to balance out uh, with God, making some kind of deal with him. Now I know it sounds silly when I say it like that, it's delusional even, but I think we can do silly things sometimes, I know I can, Uh, so we'd all do well to have God's Word snap us out of it. See Israel here, they find no joy through mere religious performance. The other problem for Israel is uh, in their search for joy, for, for God's blessing, is they have come up with their own form of spirituality. They've chosen to fast in their own way, uh, thinking, oh, this, will, you know, this is a good idea, let's do this. This will make us very spiritual people. But they have ignored what God is looking for in our spiritual lives. Like the many, many times, God instructs us to live lives where we love and care for our neighbours. Have a look here at verse 6 and 7. God is saying, like, what is this? What is this kind of fasting? I didn't tell you to do it like this. I've told you, actually, far more clearly, Israel, Uh, In the covenant that you sign up to, you must care and and work towards solving injustice. You must feed the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. You know, love your neighbor. Israel can't just ignore the things that God has told them they must do and then just choose their own spiritual adventure. Because they will find no joy in a do-it-yourself version of religion when you choose the bits you do and the bits you don't. Of course, in Western countries, like here in Australia, especially over the last generation or so, it's become more and more popular for people to describe, describe themselves as spiritual but not religious. Uh, basically, I, you know, I don't want someone else telling me what to do, especially not an organized religion. You know, I want to be true to myself and find out what works for me. Um, you know, Taking some spiritual truths from here and from, from there, the bits I like, put it all together and there you go. I think that's basically what Israel is doing here, just choosing and being selective about the kind of religious life they live. I think usually you can tell how deficient uh, the do-it-yourself approach to spirituality is because normally it results in a view of life that's all about me, about what makes me feel good. And there's nothing quite like being focused on me at the roadblock roadblock, uh, in finding joy. I think it's a very helpful chapter to help us consider carefully, because there is always a danger that we um, pick and choose the types of focuses that we like, and then neglect the things that God has told us we should do. So, you know, the obvious example today is, given God's heart for the poor and the homeless and the oppressed, our church, our lives, and our household generosity should really reflect that same heart of God, shouldn't it? Uh, That's why, as a side note, as a church, we partner with uh, an organisation called Compassion, uh, who do great work with uh, some of the world's most vulnerable people. That's why in the past here at Kernelight Gardens, I think we still do it, I'm not sure, but uh, we've partnered with the Hutt Street Centre, who care for those in Adelaide who face homelessness. We must not neglect this sort of work as a church, uh, and there is always more we could do in this space. Alongside that, though, what seems to be happening uh, more often in Australian churches is that 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 good, compassionate work, caring for the poor, advocating for justice, that can actually become the sole focus or the dominant focus of church life uh, at the expense of other critical things God has told us to do, such as the very clear commission Jesus gives his disciples to make disciples of all nations. That is, if we were a church to become a church that only focused or primarily focused on caring for the poor and materially, and we're not seeking and working hard to share the gospel – I think we end up with the same problem Israel has here, neglecting God's clear commands to us. And then we miss incredible joy as we see Jesus transform lives now and into eternity. So just pausing here for a moment and just, I guess, urging us all to reflect, as followers of Jesus, we should do this regularly, especially as we come to review household budgets and that sort of thing. Am I supporting the work of compassion and mercy to the vulnerable? And am I supporting the work of global mission? Am I being financially generous and praying about those two things? There's a good ways to sort of reflect uh, for each of us, perhaps. Now, they're not the only two things we ought to be doing, of course. There are plenty of other ways we might be selective about applying God's commands, but it seems to me these two areas, which often cost us something personally, are very good places to start. The third, I think, surefire way to miss out on finding joy that Israel uh, hits on here is what we see, I think, in verse 13. It's what we might call half-hearted devotion to God. It happens with their fasting, we've seen this sort of element of not really being uh, fully on board with it, but also with their Sabbath observance. The Sabbath is the time they were supposed to rest from work and to honour God and taking delight in Him. Clearly, Israel are not doing that. They are only kind of, kind of seeking to honour God, maybe, sometimes. But the idea with the Sabbath is it's... it's It's there to structure the week for an Israelite to put God at the center of priorities, not work. Work is not the center of priorities. Accumulating money or getting ahead or achieving our own goals, that's not the primary thing that goes into the calendar each week for the Israelite. It's the Sabbath. That's the first thing. It structures the week in such a way that God and his ways are prioritized, a key part of Israelite devotion to God. Verse 13, though, we see they simply do as they please. They do as they please on God's holy day. Other things are crowding out their devotion to God. Other priorities, other interests are getting in the way. Now again, there's a great irony here. The reason reason they're not finding joy is because they're seeking it. (laughs) They're seeking it in all the wrong places, though. Now, to some extent, isn't that all of us? Uh, Isn't that all of us? I I wish I could say that my devotion, uh, my obedience and love for God were wholehearted all the time. Uh, But how quickly we are distracted... And how easily we are convinced that there'll be more joy um, if we go and do this thing over here or find this thing over there. We think we find more joy than seeking out the joy of the Lord. Now, on that note, I suppose uh, Australia-wide, as I understand it, there has been a big shift in church attendance in the last few years, of Sunday church attendance. Um, before COVID, it was pretty normal for churches to have around 70% of church members come on any given Sunday. So a normal week before COVID, about 70% of your regulars would be at church. Uh, Now, across Australia, it's more like 50% of regulars are are at church on a Sunday. That's a big difference, isn't it? Now, of course, uh, there are uh, obvious health reasons that some might choose to stay away, and uh, that's been a a big thing for plenty of people, especially through winter this year. There's been lots of colds and flus floating around. But the Sunday gathering, gathering with God's people to hear his word, uh, to sing his praises together, to turn to him in prayer together, to have communion together, wonderful things... It's one of the main ways we can structure our week to put God at the very centre of our priorities. Not those other things, God. Now, I'm not sure um, how much that's been the case here at Colonel Light Gardens. It's far easier as a visiting preacher to come in and say these things and go again. Um, perhaps it has been the case for some households, though. I'm not sure. Uh, health reasons aside, perhaps church attendance and uh, belonging to growth groups and that sort of thing has been pushed aside uh, by other concerns, by other priorities. Now, hear me say. Simply attending church uh, doesn't make our devotion automatically wholehearted. Uh, But I know that Jamie and the team here are working really hard so that gatherings do grow our affections and our joy in the Lord and for his kingdom. For others here, it might not be church attendance that's the issue. I actually find my church attendance is fantastic. Uh, I'm pretty much there every week. Um, For me, the area I need to work on is structuring my day to have God's word in it uh, in in a prime place and spending good time in prayer. And making my other priorities fit around those cornerstones. That's a hard thing to keep working on, especially as uh, children keep growing and things keep changing. Okay, so far what we've seen is Israel uh, hitting dead ends as they seek for their missing joy. They tried different things, it's not working. Uh, by God's account, they're not going to find joy going through religious motions by coming up with their own de- version of uh, devotion to God. And they're not going to find joy through half-hearted devotion. What we see in this chapter instead is that the only solution, the only pathway to joy before us is relating to God on his terms. Relating to God on his terms and not our own. Uh, For those who are here today perhaps exploring the Christian faith for the first time or the first time in a long time, I imagine at the surface that might sound a little unconvincing perhaps, um, but there is some logic behind it. And I think the story of the Bible unpacks this for us, that we do find joy as we turn to the Lord. The logic kind of goes like this. God has created us to have joy when we're in proper relationship with him. That's why we're created, to have proper relationship with him and find joy. In fact, if you're trying to give a definition of what joy is, um, I think it's something like uh, joy is proper relationship with our creator. Joy is something like proper relationship with our creator and the many blessings that come from it. Now, our creator God tells us what a life of proper relationship with him looks like. And there's lots of ways you could sort of sum it up, but in many ways it can boil down to two things, loving God, loving our neighbour. That's according to Jesus, the greatest two commandments. And we remember that God's commandments are good for us. His commandments align with how we were designed, how we were programmed to live. And so it makes sense if we're obeying God, if we're fulfilling his commandments, we're, we're living as he intended and therefore finding joy as we relate with him as he intended. Now, that's basically what Isaiah 58 is about, I think. Failure to love God through here, Sabbath observance, and failure to love our neighbours through you know, the poor and the vulnerable, it's no way to live. It's no way to find joy. Because we were not designed by God to be inward-focused, to be self-centred and to put our desires, interests first. That's, that's not our design. It's His design that we're outward-focused, that we love that we love him, that we love others. Love is an outward focus, where we deny ourselves, where we think first of the other. The problem is sin, of course. Sin twists that. Our design has been twisted and distorted through sin, and our focus of love tends to bend in on ourselves. We gravitate too quickly to our safety, our comfort, our concerns. And It's ironic that when we pursue that inward direction of sin, uh, to seek joy, we're trying to look after ourselves first, At the expense of others, we miss out on the joy we're seeking. seems the only way to find the joy of the Lord is through obeying him and having our our love (laughs) heading outwards from ourselves, loving him with our whole hearts and loving our neighbor as ourselves. God doesn't hide joy away from us, I don't think. It's, It's us. It's us that goes away from it. We're the ones that lose it. And I suspect we all know this to be true to some degree, that the times that we have been wholehearted in our devotion to God, the times we've been selfless and sort of jumped in and put others, others first, they have been joyful times, haven't they? I'm sure we could all sort of look back and, and think of the moments that we've experienced the greatest joy in the Lord, and it's those moments, I think, where we're loving Him and loving our neighbor. It's not that God doesn't hide things. I think God actually longs to shower us with joy and with blessing. He's not stingy. Uh, have a look here in this chapter through verses 8 to 12. I'll, just, I'll skim through it. But look at the way God longs to be good to Israel. Uh, so verse 8, he'll, he'll give them light in the darkness. That sounds good. He will also heal them. He will guard them. He'll have his glory shine on them. There's nothing better than God's glory shining on you. What a great promise to be, to be bathed with the glory and goodness of God. Verse 9, uh, he'll be with them. God's presence with his people and answering every request for help. Just reflect, like having access and favor of the one who made the whole universe. It's quite something, isn't it? It goes on, verse 11, he will guide them. He uh, says here in verse 11, he will, soul, uh, he will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. It's a great promise, isn't it? Of, of abundant blessing, of vitality and refreshment. And then to top it all off, verse 12, God will even give us super cool nicknames. This is great, isn't it? You'll be called Repairer of Broken Walls. That's a, that's a good one, isn't it? Uh, I think that's only beaten by the next one. You'll be called Restorer of Streets with Dwellings. Like, you know you've made it in life when you get a nickname from God like that, right? That's pretty good. But above it all, verse 14, where we started. You will find your joy in the Lord. The point is, God intends to be incredibly good to His people. It doesn't mean a life of wealth and luxury with the best toys. It does mean God's joy, His presence, and His wisdom guiding us through life no matter what happens. It means the blessings of belonging to His people, being His treasured possession now and forever. It means satisfaction for our souls. If you found yourself in a bit of a flat spot or uh, looking back perhaps to a younger, more enthusiastic version of your Christian self, but if you realise actually it does feel like there's a pebble in my shoe, so to speak, and your attempts at clutching at joy have been mostly on your terms, or if you're just simply like me, you want your devotion to God to be more wholehearted. The good news is, our best days with Jesus are always ahead of us, because God is in the business of transformation, of growing up his people. And I think growing us up in our grasp of his great joy. Most of all, he has set before us his great promise of eternal joy, of unbelievable blessing in his presence. The thing I want to stress the most, though, at this point, is it's not simply a, a, um, an exercise in trying harder to be more obedient to God. It's not about working harder or giving more money to care for the poor. That's not what I'm saying. That's actually not the pathway to joy that God has given us. If it was, if it was about what we're doing and how much money we're giving or whatever it may be, if it was that, I think we'd be in exactly the same position as Israel. We'd be doing things with the hope that there'd be a good result for me. Working hard to impress God for the benefits for myself. I think at that point, you start wondering why it feels like a chore when we're focusing on ourselves and what we do. It doesn't get us any closer to the joy of the Lord. Instead, As God's people, we ought to be fixing our eyes on Jesus and what he has already done for us. So when we do that, we see what incredible blessing and privilege we already have. We're reminded again of extraordinary love for us. And I think his love shapes our own love. So we think less of ourselves and more of others the more we grow up into his love. Uh, Through the last few weeks here, uh, as you've been looking through Isaiah, you've seen God promise to one day send a servant to do the things that Israel didn't and couldn't do. Israel failed time and time again to love God, to love their neighbours. But as Jesus burst onto the scene, he identified himself very publicly as the servant we meet here in Isaiah. Jesus is the one who would lead God's people in the way of joy. Jesus would change lives and hearts forever. This chapter of Isaiah we've been looking at, as Israel failed to feed the poor, to clothe the naked, to give shelter to the homeless, to to free people from the yoke of oppression and injustice, we realize Jesus has done all those things. Jesus has fed us. He is the bread of heaven who nourishes hungry souls. Jesus has clothed us, you and I, beggars, with royal robes. He sets free those who are enslaved by sin and death. He breaks the yokes and, that traps us in hostility to God and to selfishness. Jesus provides shelter to all of us in, in the storms of life and more than that, he provides shelter on the day of judgment from a holy, holy God. Praise Jesus. In his selfless love on the cross, he has taken the full punishment of our failure to love God and our failure to love our neighbour. He gives us new life and he gives us access to eternal joys. Access that doesn't come by our great work of charity, but by his grace. And it's his grace that changes everything. As we access and find the joy waiting for us, we, we're looking to Jesus. And we're following him as, as his disciples. Jesus urges exactly the same thing that we've been seeing here in Isaiah 58. To be selfless and servant-hearted, just as he is. Uh, in Luke 17, if you're taking notes, Luke 17, Uh, Jesus tells us, whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life will preserve it. That is, whoever's trying to keep their life looking inward, looking after ourselves, you'll lose that. You don't find joy. You don't find real life. But whoever loses their life, denying ourselves for the sake of others, then we preserve it. The point is, if we're holding on to ourselves as the highest priority, we do lose everything. But if we give our lives up, If we spend ourselves in God's service and for the sake of others, that's really living. That's how we find the joy of the Lord. Again, be careful not to get this the wrong way around. We can't just go and squeeze out our love by sheer willpower, um, spending ourselves in a really stoic and uh, sort of bitter kind of way, volunteering for every soup kitchen we can, giving all our money to the poor in the hope it will make us right with God. No. When we know the grace of God, when we delight in God, we're thankful to be in a relationship with him. And it flows from that, it follows. The fruit of our faith is the things we do. Our concern for justice, our concern for the poor, our concern for each other. Um, I'm really thankful and have been for uh, my entire time at Colonel Light Gardens and now at Tonsley to be part of a church where I think we get these great truths uh, quite deeply. Uh, we're not a perfect church, uh, and, uh, but I look back and I think we have been growing immensely in many ways. But I think especially in our service and our joy, Uh, Because I I think we keep coming back to God's grace time and time again. Um, Every week at both churches, if you want to get a sense of joyful, um, living a life of joy, set up teams in the middle of winter at 8am, every week, getting things ready for us. They're doing it joyfully. It's quite astounding. They're not trying to prove anything to anyone. They're not trying to earn brownie points. But they know God's grace, our set up and pack up teams. Across our two churches, we have a combined wonderful youth group. And our youth leaders, they joyfully put aside their time and energy to invest in our youth. They're so excited by the opportunity to serve their younger brothers and sisters that they deny themselves a relaxed Sunday afternoon, not thinking about how much joy they can get out of themselves. And so, of course, that's how they find joy. Uh, One of my uh, favourite stories to share about Tonsley so far this year Uh, Some of you will know Susanna Honeychurch, Uh, so she used to uh, often sing in in our services here at Canite Gardens. Susanna volunteers a huge amount of her time to run our kids' program at Tonsley. Uh, Every single week, uh, she's there. Now, that's someone who knows God's grace, right? Uh, Now, Susanna is a new mother. Uh, She has a one-year-old now, and just before Mother's Day earlier this year, uh, someone approached Susanna and said, Hey, look, you're in kids every single week why don't I take over from you for a week uh, so you can sit in with church sit in church with your family for the first time on Mother's Day? What a great, thoughtful act of service. Someone stepping in, looking after Susanna in such a kind and thoughtful way. To me, that's someone who really knows God's grace and, the, and they have the fruit to show for it. Joyful service. It's a great joy uh, to see that, to sort of be watching on it, that that happens in all kinds of ways at both churches I know. And it was a great joy for Susanna, but I suspect the person who found the most joy in that moment was the person serving. Because they weren't trying to find joy, they were trying to serve. To close, would you join me in prayer? Our Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for the way you have loved us, for the freedom you have won for us, and the pathway to joy that you've set us on. Thank you for the taste of joy that we have now, but even more so, we, what we have look, to look forward to into eternity. Please continue uh, the great work you have already started in us. Please keep drawing us with fascination and awe at your mercy and your love and your grace to us. So please keep growing us in our obedience and in our holiness, the way that we love and serve others, and the way that we deny ourselves in our own desires. In all these things, we pray you grow our devotion to you. And please, grow us in our joy. And so help us bear a lot of fruit for your glory. Amen.